Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl, and I talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called, When Your Business Gets Cloned. Let's get started. This week I ran into a tweet by Mike Rubini, who had found that not only his product Grouply had been cloned, but the person behind copying this Facebook group monitoring tool had put up a comparison page trashing Mike's product. And that made Mike go to Twitter and wonder if he should stop building in public. And I think it's an alluring thought, right? If we hide away what we do, if only we can keep it a secret, then nothing can harm us. When we build in public, we feel exposed and we get noticed and people want to have what we have and we feel like we're sharing too much. I get it. It's scary to perform things we'd usually do in complete anonymity and do that on a public stage. And I had seen tweets like Mike's before, a lot of those, like founders who encounter real-world implications of building in public, wondering if they shouldn't just pull the plug. But at one point, reading those kind and supportive and encouraging replies to Mike's tweet, I noticed one thing. Everybody was talking about Mike. Nobody even cared about the name of the person who cloned Mike's business. Even at this inflection point in Mike's career, wondering if it's all worth it, all eyes were on Mike. And this attention is what building in public creates. No amount of secluded work in the safe obscurity of anonymity could ever provide this in the raw and relatable form that we can see in this tweet. Even in this moment of what I would call like somber reflection, right? Like working through the negativity, Mike is actively building a brand as an entrepreneur. And he's sharing his thoughts, his fears, his uncertainty. And that moment, in that particular moment, he becomes one of us. A fellow traveler on this entrepreneurial path that we're all on. And a learner and a human who tries his hardest to make the right choices. And that's what we are attracted to. And that's what sticks out. It's in our nature to seek the safety and comfort that hiding often allows us to feel. And usually that's a good idea, right? In the reality of our lives, because it allows us to recuperate and heal and take the time to reflect on the best path forward. For entrepreneurs and everybody else who's doing hard things that have never been done before in this particular way, retreating like this is a risky move though. In our solitude, those fears that we have in the back of our minds, these ever-present nagging thoughts, they have a much easier time to take over. And without input from a supportive community or just a couple helpful people, we create our own mental vicious circles and allow our own negative emotions to form echo chambers. And I've been there. This is what burnout is caused by. At least it was for me. Like these nagging thoughts that just got louder and louder because nobody else was telling me that they were wrong. And what Mike did here with this tweet asking if he should stop building in public or not was actually quite the courageous act. He took his fear and he laid it bare in front of his fellow founders. This takes guts to be vulnerable on purpose like that. It's so much easier to act like everything is fine. And I often do that too. And I have a hard time admitting that stuff is not. But that when I do this, when I tell people about my problems, it's actually much better because acting like everything is fine is counterproductive behavior, right? We know that the reality we see is different from how we act towards others. And 
in our mind, this causes this little shift, this little confusion. And those are the little cracks in our armor to which our fears and anxieties can attack. The stories that our mind tells itself. If we don't find an outside perspective, those fear-driven narratives that we tell ourselves, subconsciously often, become our reality. And that leads to physical implications, to mental health problems, and all kinds of things that have a negative impact on your life. So the best thing we can do is to actually reach out, and that's what Mike did. It didn't take long for the first replies to come in, reminding him how well he's doing, how people were seeing his business as something really positive, something really good. And I want to share a few interesting thoughts that I observed in these conversations, because I think it's very important to talk about this. One is that when you build in public, you're building trust at scale. Your fellow entrepreneurs and your prospective customers, they get to see you on your journey. And they don't just see the milestones, they see the whole journey. And you as a person become intertwined with the brand of both you, your personal brand, and the business. When people use your product, they understand who built this for them and how committed you are to making their lives easier. This forms a bond between customer and entrepreneur that is much stronger than what most relationships between business and user usually are. It's just something that people realize that you're a human being, and that makes a difference. And consequently, little issues are tolerated much more. Little problems, people just don't see them. They don't want to see them. And customer support conversations happen from a mutual place of benevolence. Like People want good things to happen for to you as well. Right? It's not that you're Comcast and they yell at you because stuff isn't working. They see that stuff is maybe not working perfectly, but they understand that there's a person behind this. And they're not angry customers yelling at a faceless customer service rep anymore. They're people talking to other people. So building in public is building trust. The second part is that you shouldn't really underestimate your endurance as a founder. Copycats will eventually throw in the towel when they have exhausted their resources. And those are usually very limited. Because other than copying your product, what do they have? Right? If making a profit is their only motivation, how quickly will that vanish when they recognize that how hard it is actually to build a business? It's a common sign of grasping at the last straw for copycats like this when destructive methods like bad-mouthing and like trash-talking are employed. Look at Mike's clone competitor. He's just frightened enough of Grouply, his tools, potential that he took the time to write up a fictional story about how you can trust this tool. Is that the growth mindset of an entrepreneur with a, with a vision? I don't think so. If you build in public, you commit to a path of honest work based on integrity. If you're a copycat, you do not. Right? If you build in public, you show up every day and people can see that process unfolding regularly. It makes you stronger, gives you more endurance, and will allow you to outlast those who just merely copy your work. Just another word about this whole trash talking. Badmouthing attracts people you might not even want as your customers anyway. If I read your destructive hit job on a comparison page that makes your competitor out to be like this bastion of incompetence, I wonder who you think would agree with you. Any self-respecting customers will read that and they just read it once and they will never interact with your product again. Negativity in marketing just doesn't resonate with people who are on a mission to do something good. And even worse, this approach is self-defeating because it gives your copied business, in this case, Grouply, even more attention, right? 
it's it's fine to build a comparison page based on features and how well it works for particular use cases. This stuff works well and people use it all the time. But if I end up being curious about the competitor because you're spending so much time trying to make them seem bad, you just did them a marketing favor. And all of this kind of boils down to one thing. They cannot copy you. They can just copy your work. The product might be cloned, but not your vision, not your spirit or your understanding of your customers and their problems. The founder and everything you stand for is something that cannot be cloned. And for that reason, building a personal brand as a reputable entrepreneur with domain expertise in some space is such a great advantage. It takes a long time to build trust right? like this, and it only takes an afternoon to badly clone an existing business. And investing that time into building the brand is something that people who clone businesses do not do. So that's where you are at an advantage. And even if, for some miraculous reason, someone were to clone your business and become successful, more successful than you, you're still a valuable and reputable entrepreneur, known by many for your transparent approach to business and impeccable work ethic. Even if there's a worst possible outcome were to come true, you're still nestled security in the supportive and opportunity-generating company of other founders. And this is the secret to building in public. If you're willing to be an honest person sharing your learnings, your struggles, and your successes, you build a legacy beyond the business that you're currently working on. That's something that no one can clone or ever take away from you. And after a few hours of people pouring out their support for Mike in that Twitter post, he came to one final conclusion. I quote, you guys are right. I'll keep doing what I do. End quote. Best of luck, Mike. I think you're doing great. Now, let's get to a listener question. Kevin has a question this week about getting started with finding and selecting the right audience for your business. Hey, Arvid. I'm Kevin, a huge fan of your work over here. And thanks a lot for listening to my question. So I already identified some audiences I believe I would love to serve but I just don't have any friends that belong to those audiences. So meaning that I will have to reach them online. So that leads me to some questions like, should I just go local or not? Or for example, I'm struggling with the fact that, okay, I'm not one of them. So how can I join their private communities? Also that leads me to wonder myself, should I just go and focus to the audiences I belong to. But then for me, it feels a bit limiting because I'm trying to expose myself to different industries than just software engineering, which is my case. So I would love to know your take on this. And again, thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for the question, Kevin. You're already way further ahead than most other founders. The fact that you've been identifying audiences you would love to serve but have not yet started to work on a product says a lot about how methodically you approach building a business. You could have skipped this validation step, but you didn't, and I applaud that. Here's what I recommend. You say that you've found a few audiences, but you feel you don't know anyone who could help you getting into interesting spaces, or you don't know anything about audiences you're not a part of beyond software engineering. It seems you're already feeling some sort of affinity for industries that you're not involved yet. 
And that's where I would start. In fact, that's where every entrepreneur should start. Make a list of potential audiences, no matter how involved you are with them just now. I bet there was a time in your life when you were not a software engineer, and five years from now, you'll be in a domain expert in one of those audiences that will end up on your list, right? You're not one yet, but you can be, and you just have to be intentional about this. I consider this audience discovery process to be one of expanding circles. You start with listing stuff from yourself, and then you expand from there. Let me explain what I mean. You start with listing audiences that you're a part of professionally at this moment. That's the stuff you know best. And in your case, and in mine too, this is likely software engineering. But you can already start niching down and up. For example, are you a front-end person? Add that to the list. Put in front-end engineers. Do you prefer back-end stuff? Add that. Do you want to help IT workers in general, not just programmers? Zoom out a bit and add DevOps or infrastructure administrators to your list. In fact, any group of people that you can distinctly imagine serving, add a line to your list. I would do this in a like a Google spreadsheet or just a text file doesn't really matter, but it would be useful because we're going to add a couple columns later to do this in some sort of sheet, spreadsheet. So from there, going through your professional life and listing all the audiences that you understand in there, as detailed as you want to be, expand the circle. Instead of looking at your present job, look at the things that you're interested in life. Do you enjoy tinkering with, I don't know, Arduino boards? Or are you a hobby musician? Do you love to take your dog on a walk? Or are you an above average pastry chef? Just look through your hobbies, things that you do in any given day and that you're interested in doing past and present, right? It doesn't have to be stuff you're doing right now. It could be stuff that you did 10 years ago. And imagine the kinds of people that share those hobbies with you. And if you would like to serve them with something, put them on the list. And then trace back your life throughout all kinds of stages. What were you interested in college, right? What were the things you got into as a young adult and what kinds of people did you hang out with? What moved them? What were they interested in? Add that to the list. Just take some time to reflect on the kinds of communities and societies that you are part of, both consciously, like in terms of profession, but also subconsciously by just doing things in a certain way that attracts a certain kind of people. And here's another very powerful exercise that I've been doing for myself to detect audiences. Just consciously look at every single object that you interact with on a given day. Just take a little notebook and a pen and take that with you through your day. Look at the things you interact with when you get up in the morning. Do you go to a fancy coffee machine because you're a fan of, I don't know, like particular kinds of coffee and making it yourself? Note that down. Coffee enthusiast. Do you have a particular setup for your shower because you really like a particular kind of, I don't know, like water pressure system or like an osmotic kind of water manipulation thing? Shower enthusiast. It might sound silly, but these are all potential audiences that have problems and needs that you could serve. So with every object that you interact with, make a note. Right now I'm sitting in front of a computer, in front of a couple screens, I'm talking into a microphone, a podcaster microphone with a pop filter, and all of these things have a story. Right? There's there's always somebody who needs to buy a podcasting microphone because they want to start a podcast. So that would be po- podcast newbies 
or people who are into audio equipment, which would be music producers, right? Every object that you interact with on a given day has a certain kind of audience that interacts with it as well. And those people, like I said, have problems and needs that need to be solved. The idea of this list is not to immediately find the perfect prospective audience. The idea is to show you the scope of what's possible and then whittle down the list by ranking those items. And when you have found all the things that you were interested in, that you're professionally interested in, and that you, you were interested in, in the past, expand the circle again. And this time into jobs, hobbies, and communities that your friends and family are part of. You said you don't have any friends that belong to the audiences you already picked. Well, maybe it's time to consider which audiences you do already have access to through friends and family. Explore that, right? It, it, it doesn't mean you need to select any one of them. It's just um, an idea to discover these things. Because as an exercise of discovery, once you have a few dozen items on the list, you can start ranking this. You can start looking into these things in terms of, well, how good is this for me actually? And I would I would suggest giving them all um, and one initial ranking from one to 10 um, about how much you like them, how much you actually feel affinity for this particular subject. I did this for myself. Um, and uh, even though I'm a software engineer, software engineers on my list only got a seven or an eight. It's not a 10, not a full, oh, I really care about this. It's a job, right? Something that we do. But Bootstrap founders, for example, got a full 10 because I really care about founders more than engineers because I I don't know, engineering is nice, but building a business is better. And doing this with your own affinity will give you some sort of insight into clusters of how much you really care about certain things. And then repeat this for how much opportunity you think those audiences can provide, which you can do by just looking into online existing communities, mostly like subreddits or Facebook groups or the Twitter communities, and just see what people are talking about, like see if there are a lot of interesting problems in the space or solutions in the space that compete for attention, also usually a good sign. That give a number from one to 10 to that particular opportunity. Then how much of a budget you might think those people have for solutions to their problems, that's the next step, right? Figure out if there's money in this community. For software engineers, there usually are budgets for software tools, but they are kind of restricted because, you know, software engineers rather solve their own problems. So there might not actually be as much opportunity um, that has a budget in the software space than in other spaces. So figure out for each space, just a couple of, um, do a bit of research, maybe five minutes each or a minute or two, if you already know. Um, for each of these audiences and give them a 1 to 10 ranking in terms of how much welcome there is, how much budget you can expect. And then do one more thing and figure out if this audience is both big enough to sustain a business, like how if you sell a product for 10 bucks a month to each person in this community, how much money could you make? And if that's big enough to sustain a bootstrap business to your liking, I don't know, maybe $20,000 a month or fifty or 100000 wherever you want to go, but not too big so that bigger, much more capitalized competitors would be attracted into that space, give it a ranking from 1 to 10 as well. And then you have four numbers, right? You end up with four numbers that you can add up, sum up, and get a final ranking. And I talk about this process much in much more detail in my upcoming book, The Embedded Entrepreneur, where, where this is the, the initial process to finding an audience to actually serve. But this is the gist of it. Give every audience some thought, find those four numbers, add them up, and then sort the list by rank. 
the audience with the highest sum of all four ranks is very likely your best bet to look into more. And it doesn't need to stop here, right? It does. You don't need to pick this. This is just a discovery exercise. You might find during this process that you resonate incredibly strong with one particular audience. And you might find that then you spend a couple hours diving into the online communities to see if they have interesting problems and there are some and you want to get going immediately. Fine. This is a creative process. You'll never know where you end up. But I believe that you should join communities from the start. Right? Even while you are exploring this opportunity rank, you could already become part of these communities. And you should start with public communities before you get into their private communities, which was another part of your question, right? How do I get into these private communities? Well, it's a long process. Audience exploration and embedded exploration are long processes and they won't happen within a day. And this is also the core concept of the embedded entrepreneur, right? You join a community, you learn about people's problems, and then you learn about where else they hang out and slowly infiltrate those communities too. I am part of a few newsletter creator Telegram groups that are private communities that only people that have a running and successful newsletter get to be a part of. But long before I was invited into these groups, I was part of the newsletter Twitter and other newsletter communities that exist in public. It's an iterative process and it will take time to get there, but you start with the public communities until you get into the private ones. I hope this gives you some insights into the steps that you can take to find and select the right audience for your business, Kevin. Thank you for those questions. I hope you find what you're looking for quite soon. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Khal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my book, Zero to Sold, at zerotosold.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It'll help other founders or founders-to-be to find this podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.